Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, it's the most wonderful time of the year. No, we're not talking about Christmas. It's the start of college football bowl season. And in honor, a new survey reveals the most obnoxious and worst-behaved fans in America. Also this morning, more help is needed for this weekend's Reads Across America event, and the Salvation Army is making a final appeal for its Red Kettle campaign in this last shopping weekend before Christmas. Finley assistant coach Ray Elvin previews the Trojans' weekend doubleheader against Whitmer and Springfield. And we have recipes from Kyra's Kitchen for a special easy-to-make Christmas morning breakfast. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, December 17th, 2021. It is National Maple Syrup Day today. Also, Pan American Aviation Day. It is Wright Brothers Day, honoring the date in 1903 that Wilbur and Orville Wright made the first successful controlled flight of a powered, heavier-than-air aircraft at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, and launching a century-old debate between North Carolina and Ohio as to... Which state is actually the uh, birthplace of aviation? But uh, the Wright Brothers, of course, from Ohio, but had their first uh, flight in North Carolina. Wright Brothers Day today, National Ugly Christmas Sweater Day. So you know what you got to wear today. And it is also National Underdog Day. Reasons to celebrate on this uh, Friday morning. So the uh, folks at Wallet Hub. Uh, have been as busy as Santa's elves, crunching the numbers to determine which cities have the best bang for your buck to celebrate Christmas. The best cities for celebrating Christmas. They crunched the numbers, calculated the data on everything from the availability of gift shops and toy stores to seasonal sightseeing opportunities Uh, COVID restrictions, and crime statistics. And they weighed all of this together, ranked 100 of the largest cities in the country, and determined that Atlanta, Georgia, is at the top of its nice list. Atlanta, Georgia, the number one city for Christmas. Orlando was number two. Las Vegas Number three, which I thought was kind of interesting, Las Vegas, of all places, the third best place to celebrate Christmas. (laughs) After his big big flight, apparently Santa's going to take some time to play the slots. Um, Pittsburgh was number four, Seattle, or I'm sorry, San Francisco number five, Seattle number six. Uh, Los Angeles was seventh, Cincinnati, Ohio, the top-ranked city in the Buckeye State, uh, came in at number eight. New York, number nine, New York City, and uh, Portland, Oregon, was number 10, the top 10 best cities for Christmas. Dead last on the list at number 100, North Las Vegas. Uh, So Las Vegas, number three, but North Las Vegas is the worst. I wonder what the delineation is to make Las Vegas so good, but North Las Vegas so bad. I don't know. What they say, and who are we to question Wallet Hub? I love, uh, I love their rankings. They always have some fun lists, and you know how I love lists. So that's 
By the way, speaking of uh, Christmas, is it possible to spoil a child with too many Christmas gifts? Maggie Dent is an Australian parenting author and educator and says, yes, you can give your child too many Christmas gifts. She says too many toys can limit a child's creativity and lead to an addiction to stuff, which children can tend to get bored with easily. Instead, she she advises parents not to overdo it with the Christmas presents, saying save your money to provide delicious quality food instead and create enjoyable experiences you can have together with your kids. It's better to give a well-intentioned gift that really meets a child's special interests rather than just a bunch of random toys. She also said you should be careful to avoid giving gifts that prompt sibling rivalry and try to get gifts that get your child off the couch. She also notes that board games can be good for learning patience and how to lose gracefully. So, some advice from a child expert there. I think really any parent inherently knows a lot of those things. Yes, it's probably pretty easy to overdo it with the Christmas gifts. I think we've all been guilty of that. And as far as that advice to avoid giving gifts that prompt sibling rivalry, <laughs> I think we've all been there, right, parents? A couple of other uh, stories among the uh, first things you need to know, the most buzzworthy stories of the day. We mentioned yesterday, I think, that uh, supermarket giant Kroger, that uh, since last year has been offering employees two weeks of paid time off if they are infected with COVID-19. They have now decided to make a change, and they confirmed this week that they will no longer offer that benefit to workers who are unvaccinated. If you're not vaxxed and you come down with COVID, then no paid two-week time off for you. Now, if you're vaccinated and get a breakthrough case, you'll still be able to get the two weeks paid leave. But if you're unvaccinated, that's on you, basically, the Kroger company is saying. Uh, By the way, Kroger, one of America's biggest employers, some 500,000 full and part-time workers, um, they also will be uh, charging managers and other salaried workers enrolled in company health care plans a $50 monthly surcharge if they are unvaccinated. Although that will not apply to hourly workers or to union members because there's the whole union contract thing that they have to work around, but... For everybody else, it's going to be more expensive for your health insurance if you are unvaccinated. And they do say they will continue to offer a $100 bonus to employees who do get vaccinated. So there are a lot of incentives that the Kroger company is putting in place to encourage their employees to get the jab Molly Kinder, the Brookings Institution's Metropolitan Policy Program, tells the Wall Street Journal that uh, in particular, taking away the paid leave for COVID could convince unvaccinated workers who can't afford to take the time off, go and get vaccinated. But it also could have a negative effect if they still refuse to get vaccinated and they're not going to get paid with the time off, then that may lead to them 
actually going to work while they're infected, and that's not going to be a good thing, obviously, so it could backfire in that way, so... But it is certainly a buzzworthy story. A lot of folks uh, talking about uh, talking about that. Uh, Harvard University announced yesterday that uh, they will not require SAT or ACT scores for admission through the next four years, extending a policy that uh, that storied institution implemented last year due, due to the pandemic. They say... The uh, effects of COVID-19 have make it, made it hard for students to get access to testing sites. But it could be a step toward eliminating standardized test scores for good with respect to college admission. And that's something that pe- some people have been uh, pushing for for quite some time. The organization FairTest reports the percentage of schools that do not require SAT or ACT scores has risen from about 45% pre-pandemic to nearly 80% now. Most schools that do make the tests optional, however, do uh, still encourage students to submit their scores. The school will look at them and frequently use the scores in determining scholarship awards and things of that nature, but they are not required. Those who... Uh, back the use of the tests, say they give a uniform way of evaluating students from different schools and different parts of the country, but critics charge that they are quite often racially and culturally biased and are more reflective of the ability to pay for test tutoring than they are a student's abilities. So, again, a subject of debate, but uh, certainly uh, one of the most interesting newsworthy stories that came out yesterday, you'll want to know about. Interesting stuff. And uh, today, I this is on the Today in History calendar. It was on this date in 1989 that The Simpsons debuted on Fox TV. It is currently the longest-running sitcom in primetime. And I believe, is it not the longest-running sitcom in television history? Uh, what is it? 1989, so uh, 34 years ago or something like that. I didn't do my math. I'm. It's too early in the morning to do math, but I mean that's it's three more than three decades. And uh, it, I bring that up because uh, a uh, law group in Los Angeles has a legal uh, uh, legal group in Los Angeles has uh, put together a uh, a number or, or put together a report they crunch the numbers and they estimate that Homer Simpson's lifetime medical bills <laughs> would total some 143 million dollars if you are a fan of the show or even a casual fan of the show you know that uh, Homer probably should have been dead hundreds of times over thanks to a lifetime of injuries throughout the course of the long running show uh, so this uh, injury law group has calculated that uh, Homer Simpson's lifetime medical bills would total some $143 million, t- tallying every time that Homer has been hurt over the series' 706 episodes, coupled with the average real-life cost for care for everything from salmonella poisoning to falling off the roof <laughs> and everything in between. 
Homer's total medical expenditures, they say, are some 452 times more than the average American's medical bills. (laughs) Just the cost of the injuries, everything from 50 concussions, 50 concussions to broken bones, shoving enough crayons up his nose to render him stupid, would cost more than $10 million. Factor in hospital bills and the like, and Homer would be looking at $143 million. And that is a lot of dough. <laughs> so there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Sunny early today, then increasing clouds with a high of 42. Partly cloudy tonight, a low of 36. Finley City Schools will have an increased police presence at their buildings today. The school district said it became aware of a troubling post that's been widely shared on the social media platform TikTok. The post refers to a threat to school safety at schools across the country. On Friday, December 17th, the school district says the post appears to be part of a national TikTok trend and did not originate locally. Finley City Schools has been in contact with local law enforcement regarding the post and will have an increased police presence at their school buildings as an added precaution today. Get more on our website. National Wreaths Across America Day is on Saturday. Volunteers will head out to Findlay's Maple Grove Cemetery and other area cemeteries and place wreaths at veterans' graves. At last year's event, we spoke with the Parsons family about why they wanted to help out. We've had a a lot of um, family members that have been in the military, um, always supportive of the military, and it was a way for us to give back to the community and to those individuals that served us so proudly. Learn more about National Wreaths Across America Day on our website. The head of the state agency that will regulate sports betting in Ohio says there's no question that major college sports will be eligible for wagers. Matt Schuler is the executive director of the Ohio Casino Control Commission. He said that in new sports betting legislation, lawmakers were clear about including collegiate sports, naming Ohio State football in particular. The legislation to legalize sports betting is before Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, who has said he'll sign it. Ohio universities have long raised concerns about the impact of sports betting on college sports. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. After only eight months with the Jacksonville Jaguars, former Ohio State head coach Urban Meyer has been released from his five-year contract following a number of missteps on and off the field. Among the incidents, a former Jaguars player told a Florida newspaper that Meyer kicked him during practice in August. Meyer released a statement denying the incident happened the way the player described it. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, it is the most wonderful time of the year. No, I'm not talking about Christmas. The college football bowl season begins today and continues through the national championship game on January 10th in honor of this annual tradition. New survey reveals the college football fan bases that fellow fans believe are the most obnoxious, most intolerable, and generally worst behaved. Uh, Matt Shook is editor of PlayMichigan.com and PlayOhio.com, part of the Katena Media family of sites that focus on all things sports and gaming. And Matt, as you put it, there's certainly nothing wrong with getting a little rowdy, talking a little smack and all of that, but some fans stand out from the rest in their overall obnoxiousness. 
Yeah, Chris, thanks for having me on. And, and you're certainly right. I don't know if these fan bases are wearing this as a badge of honor or maybe something that they uh, they feel bad about. I guess it depends on the fan base. But yeah, we talked to 2,000 college football fans out there and the number one team, as they kind of usually are number one in, in, in all types of rankings, <laughs> the Alabama the Alabama Crimson Tide, number one. And I wonder if there's a just maybe a touch of jealousy there around from fan bases I, across the country, I can imagine, as part of it. Yeah, I, I that was certainly not a surprise uh, at all to me, and I would guess that most people could guess that Alabama would be at the top of that list without even looking, but... Our Buckeyes, or our Buckeyes, I don't know about your Buckeyes, our Buckeyes Mm -hmm. are number two. Apparently, the rest of the country does not think too highly of uh, the Ohio State University. Yeah, and and as we look at our top five here, I guess top three, Alabama, Ohio State, and then the LSU number three, like you mentioned, the Buckeyes, that comes with the success that the Ohio State Buckeyes have had these last few years. You know, we we did talk to participants for the survey in in all 50 states plus Washington, D.C., we got the data. We, we figured it all out. But it's no surprise that the, these teams that are college football playoff bound and at the top of the rankings year in and year out are some of the ones that we're kind of looking at here. But, yeah, the Ohio State have, uh, have got a little bit of a reputation. And the thing that was pointed out by, by respondents in the survey about Ohio State is their gripe about the fan base was the worst behavior is yelling at other fans. Now, I'll, I'll report you this, though, Chris. I was at the game uh, in, in in Ann Arbor a few weeks ago, um, <laughs> and I got to tell you, it wasn't bad. It wasn't you know between the fan bases, Michigan and Ohio State, it was it was civil. Um, of course, the Michigan fans were in a state of euphoria throughout the entire game. I, <laughs> of course, I, as you can imagine, after the years and years and years of beatdowns <laughs> that they've been getting from the uh, the Scarlet and Gray, it was. Uh, a refreshing feeling for 100,000-plus fans there in Ann Arbor. <laughs> and the sure. Ohio State fans, to their credit, uh, it wasn't a lot of yelling back and forth. I think they just kind of you know, took the took the, took the L well, for the day. And, of course, they're getting ready for, for, for seasons ahead as yeah, well. Yeah, well, that may have been stunned silence. Uh, <laughs> as, it were. Yeah, as, sure. as you mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of this uh, does kind of come from a point of uh, jealousy of success, and it is true that Alabama and Ohio State have been kind of kings of the hill in the college football world of late. But you also, I thought it was interesting, you also have teams like Tennessee, Florida State, Arizona State, all in the top 10, and certainly none of those teams have been uh, really relevant in recent years, so you, you can't really chalk it up to jealousy entirely there. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But yeah, you mentioned a lot of the Tennessee and Florida, four and five, not teams that are right now at the top of their games, of course, year in and year out, but those are fan bases in the SEC, which we also broke out some statistics as well and found out that the SEC was number one in the, the worst-behaved NCAA football conferences. And before those of us in the Midwest start celebrating, the number two conference was the Big Ten. What's so the, the, uh, the arrogance and think they're better than every other fan base is yeah. what, uh, what the fans are saying about both conferences. Um, is this is this really about perception more than reality? I mean, every team has that segment of fans that are obnoxious and arrogant. Nobody really has the market cornered on that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's the perception. And, and then you, you think about it. If you ask me that question and I'm an individual person who's answering the survey, I'm thinking about my own experience. Now, of course, uh, for a fan who didn't, uh, maybe isn't an alum of a high-powered university, 
you kind of just pick the team to be a fan of that's really good at that time, right? I mean, there's a reason that there's a bunch of Yankees fans out there. There's a reason there's a bunch of Dallas Cowboys fans from those days when they were America's team. Yeah. So, you know, Alabama and Ohio State, those those fan bases aren't just from Alabama and Ohio. Those are fan bases that are national, that are people that are glomming on to these great programs that win year in and year out. So it stands to reason that someone in New Hampshire probably has a pretty good friend who's an Alabama fan and an Ohio State fan and probably hears on most Saturdays about how good that program is and might not be very happy about that year in and year out. So, yeah, I think it's that you got to think about this in the macro sense and the numbers that we bring in, but also the micro sense. I mean, there's a reason that you might uh, relate to on a personal level someone being cocky or being uh, maybe yelling a little bit about how great their fan base is and how great their school is. Yeah. Uh, And as you alluded to, I'm guessing that some people will actually wear that designation as the most obnoxious or most hated fan uh, as a point of pride in a twisted sort of way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Some of the categories that we found were uh, getting too drunk at games. So (laughs) Florida and Florida State in the South leading that one at five and six respectively for the, uh, the Gators and the Seminoles. So I think, and, and the average age of the participants in the survey was 30 years old. So I got to think that, you know, that there's a certainly a lot of mid twenties and young twenties, probably even some college students themselves that were surveyed in this year. And uh, it's, um, it stands to reason that a lot of them will be proud of the fact that uh, <laughs> the big cocktail party for Florida and Georgia's, it's something that people have known about across the country and something that you can wear as a, as a point of pride. Yeah. Uh, in the end, though, uh, the fact of the matter is that that is really what makes college football great uh, are all of those teams that we love to hate, not just the teams, the fan bases. This is what makes this sport great. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the rivalry week uh, for uh, up here in Michigan, Michigan and Michigan State, and I know, of course, Michigan and Ohio State week is just a, is a great week. As long as it's kept civil, as long as it's kept, uh, you know, at, at some level of the quorum is probably a good thing. And certainly uh, that was the case, like I said, when I was in Ann Arbor a few couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to more battles between the schools that I follow, the schools that I root for. And, of course, Ohio State fans, I'm sure, are, are looking forward to that. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's fun and it's kept to some sort of reasonable level. Um, I'm looking forward to, to more of these types of conversations and more of these types of arguments, of course, going forward, too. Again, uh, Matt Shook is editor of PlayMichigan.com uh, and PlayOhio.com, which are part of the uh, Katena family, uh, media family of uh, sites that focus on all things sports and gaming. And on that note, by the way, uh, really some exciting developments uh, coming down the pike probably sooner rather than later with respect to sports and gaming in the state of Ohio. Yeah, coming up real soon, we're expecting the governor, DeWine, to uh, to put pen to paper and to make it law that uh, sports betting is coming to the state of Ohio. Uh, I'm very excited. I, I spend a lot of time in Ohio. I have a lot of friends down in the Buckeye State as well. So I'm excited to get down there and get some apps downloaded and visit some retail sports books as well. However, a little bit of cold water kind of thrown on things is that uh, while the law might go really any day now here as we speak, uh, the actual launch of uh, sports gambling in Ohio is probably looking at another year away. There's a lot of rules and regulations that need to be sorted out by the uh, Osa- uh, the, the uh, Casino Control Commission there in Ohio. And uh, Rick Anthony, the deputy executive director, told us at Play Ohio this week that that January 1st, 2023 deadline that's in the bill right now that's on the governor's desk is probably actually going to be the start date and not just the, the, the possible deadline. However, 
there is uh, reason to believe that maybe uh, things could get moved and ex- expedited a little bit. You know, Ohio is one of the not one of the final states, but certainly not one of the first states to get right. this going. So there are models around the country to follow if you want to get it done a little quicker. So we're optimistic here in the industry that maybe it could be closer to the beginning of football season next year, but we will see. It'll be something to follow throughout the the, uh, the whole year in 2022 at PlayOhio.com. Indeed, we will uh, be watching that very closely. Uh, Matt Shook, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris, and uh, Happy New Year to you. As you heard in the news, reads across America is uh, this weekend coming up tomorrow, that big event here locally, and more help is needed. Still time to volunteer a few hours of your time to honor those who have served. Sherry Garner-Brumbaugh is with us this morning. Garner Trucking is one of the uh, uh, big presenters of uh, this event here locally. And when did you start uh, this, Sherry? Because I know this is uh, how many years now uh, that you've done Reeves Across America? Yes, this is uh, the sixth year that we've brought it to yeah. Finley. We we participated, Garner, for several years going to Arlington National Cemetery in Arlington, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And we started six years ago with my son and his Eagle Project. And uh, it's grown exponentially, especially yeah. this year. Yeah. Uh, and the idea is to uh, place wreaths at the grave sites of uh, those who have served uh, for Christmas in honor of that uh, sacrifice. And as we mentioned, um, you're really uh, in need of additional volunteers to help out this year. Right. We uh, A few weeks ago, we, we didn't know if we were going to make our goal of 1,200 wreaths and our overall goal every year is about 1,500 wreaths, but we were able to uh, uh, attain that. We got 1,500 wreaths, and we received a call two days ago from the Wreaths Across America organization in Maine that they have an additional 1,800 wreaths coming to us from undesignated donors. Wow. Uh, we had room on, yeah, we had room. So we are uh, double double our wreath count and then some, and so really a need for volunteers. The weather's not looking so great Saturday, so I <laughs> well, we don't want any to scare anyone away. But it's so brief. It's so quick. Um, many hands make light work, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a small sacrifice that we can make to honor the sacrifice that they have made uh, to get out there uh, in the cemetery for a couple of hours. So how do folks uh, volunteer and what is involved in volunteering? Yes, just come out, uh, you know, dress for the, dress for the weather, 10 a.m., Tomorrow morning at Maple Grove Cemetery, Finley, Ohio, we will meet at the Veterans Memorial for a very brief, very brief ceremony. We want to make sure we talk about the mission of Wreath Across America, which is remember uh, those that have served, honor those that have served, and then teach, teach our next generation about our veterans and the ultimate sacrifices that they made there for our freedom. So, uh, yeah, 10 a.m. tomorrow morning, Maple Grove brief ceremony, and then, you know, young and old. This is the, what's great about this project. Right. Young and old can come out and lay, and, and lay wreaths. And then it's just a process of getting the wreaths and pra- placing them uh, at the uh, grave sites. And like I said, there are a lot of wreaths that uh, uh, need to be distributed. So if you can help out for uh, a few hours uh, beginning, you said 10 o'clock tomorrow uh, at Maple Grove. And you just, That's right, 10 a.m. tomorrow. And you just show up. You don't have to uh, register nope. or anything like that. Just show up. 
Just show up. It's Simple very easy. Yeah. Very easy. Couldn't and then, make... you, then you can go out for a cup of coffee and lunch yeah, afterwards. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Bring like the said, whole family. Like I said, it's uh, just a, a terrific way of spend, spending a few hours uh, to honor those who have served and sacrificed so much. Uh, also, uh, should mention that uh, after the holiday season, then uh, you'll look for uh, volunteers to help uh, clean up afterwards and uh, right. uh, dispose of those uh, wreaths, right? Right. The uh, third Saturday in January, uh, okay. we'll clean up at 9 a.m. So need volunteers for that, too. All right. So uh, put that on your calendar. But tomorrow at 10 a.m. at Maple Grove, it'll be good to see a bunch of volunteers out there. Uh, and, you know, the more people, obviously, the less time it'll take. So uh, we encourage people to do that. We've got a link up at our webpage for more information. And again, Sherry Garner Brumbaugh reads across America with us uh, this morning. Sherry, thanks very much. Thank you. Well, the Salvation Army estimates it will need $175 million to keep Americans in their homes just through the holiday season, which is 50% more than what was raised through the Red Kettle campaign in 2020. Now, you would think that it would be easier this year because people are shopping and spending more than they did in 2020, but that is not the case. You might remember the story we had, uh, I think it was last week in the news, about the local Red Kettle campaign, like many across the country finding themselves coming up short. And Commissioner Kenneth Hodder is the national commander of the Salvation Army. Commissioner, what have you found to be the biggest challenges to your fundraising effort in 2021? Well, thank you so much, Chris, for allowing me to come on and be with you this morning. I think our biggest need would be volunteers. We need folks to help us stand out there on the street corner or in front of a store to ring those bells because we have some wonderful corporate partners who are giving us opportunities to reach the public. We simply need the personnel, and that's a challenge for everyone right now. Yeah, it's hard to uh, collect money into the red kettles if there aren't folks there uh, to uh, collect it. As we mentioned, $175 million needed just through the holiday season itself to say nothing of the needs that will exist into 2022, much of which is funded through the red kettle campaign. This is your biggest annual fundraiser. Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely critical to what the Salvation Army does all year long, whether it's food or rent or utility assistance or drug and alcohol rehabilitation. It's all critical and it happens at Christmas. How has the Salvation Army sort of adapted to the needs of the communities that you serve uh, over the years? Well, as you know, Chris, the Salvation Army is the largest non-governmental provider of social services in the nation. And I think the reason for that is, is that our philosophy is that we must meet need at the point of need. Uh, the Salvation Army is therefore going to do what every community needs to have get done. We're in every zip code. We have 7,000 locations. We adapt as communities change and evolve. And uh, that's always been the way we've approached it, and it's the way that we're doing it now. And that, uh, again, goes back to what we were talking about, why it is important to uh, give not just during the Red Kettle campaign, but throughout the year. Uh, absolutely right, because every dollar that people give to the Salvation Army, particularly in these kettles, will stay right in that community. Uh, we always make sure that giving is to your neighbor in your community. 
And just as the Salvation Army has adapted to the needs of the community over the years, you are also uh, have adapted to the ways people give uh, these days. And there are uh, various ways that people can donate. If you don't have, uh, I know that's one of the one of the things. You know, some of the uh, bell ringers have been saying people just don't have cash uh, in their pocket like they used to, and and that can impact uh, the traditional type of giving. But you uh, have adapted in that way as well. Oh, absolutely, Chris. You can now give digitally if you go to a Salvation Army Christmas kettle. Uh, you can also go online. And this year, we've taken another step forward. This year, people can actually give cryptocurrency to the Salvation Army. Uh, our website will accept donations in Bitcoin and Ethereum. So we're trying to keep up with all the new ways by which people can support our work. So uh, let's uh, let folks know if they would like to donate. Uh, and again, you don't have to donate at the uh, Red Kettle uh, itself. You can actually donate online. And also, if, as you were mentioning, you're in need of bell ringers, if folks uh, can donate a little bit of their time over these final few days of the Red Kettle campaign, how do folks do that? Chris, great question. We would encourage everyone who'd like to give or to volunteer time to go to SalvationArmyUSA.org. They can find out about everything that the Salvation Army is doing in their community, or they can pick up the phone and call us at 1-800-SAL-ARMY. Again, Commissioner Kenneth Hodder, the National Commander of the Salvation Army, with us this morning. Commissioner, thanks very much for taking the time, and Merry Christmas. Thanks for everything, Chris. Merry Christmas to you. It's another weekend of high school hoops action set to tip off tonight. Last week, of course, the Trojans dropped a heartbreaker to St. John's by a score of 67 to 64. Findlay assistant coach Ray Elbin spoke with John Marshall about the difference between a close win and a close loss on this week's Coach's Corner. It was a hard-fought battle with St. John's. Was there one aspect of the game that you feel like made the difference between getting a close win and the reality of that close loss? Their defensive pressure, uh, when it mattered down the stretch, probably made it tougher on, uh, on us to, to keep pace with them. And then uh, we did rally back to tie it. And, of course, they had uh, what would have been the last possession. And they were smart with the ball. And, you know, they worked it, took time off the clock, and then uh, made a big shot. And uh, that put them up three. We had a last shot, but, you know, there wasn't much time left. So they were, they were pretty smart in how they handled it down the stretch. And we had some chances maybe get away. But, uh, you know, they're a good team, and, and we knew they were going to be a good team, and we knew it was going to be a close game. Uh, we were just hoping that we would be the ones to out-execute them down the stretch. But we, got, we have them again coming up uh, in a month or so, six weeks or so, and, and we'll be a different team then. They'll, they'll be better, too, I'm sure, but we'll get them that time. With early games against the likes of Lima Senior and St. John's, a 1-2 and two start. It's not as a disastrous start, especially when you look at where we were in those games. We had leads in the fourth quarter in both of those games. And, uh, you know, uh, we just have to find a way to uh, execute a little better down the stretch, maybe get a couple good stops down the stretch and, and, and close these games out, and, you know, traditionally we have and you know i think we will uh but we just haven't yet what do you feel like you've learned as you've gotten your men out on the floor after having the late football run mm -hmm. and, and not getting 
all of your basketball players on the floor together until what three weeks ago, sure. give or take. Yeah. Well, and and yeah, we were we were a bit behind the eight ball. You know, we're working through that. Uh, you know, we're we're probably still looking for an identity, looking for you know the combinations, especially you know when the game is on the line like that, and and you know it's it's just a matter of 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 coming together, and you know we're we're gelling as as time goes on, but. Uh, yeah, we're this. This is uh, yeah. This is not the way we want to end those games. So we're happy to be in that position. We're happy to be competitive. But uh, you know, the bottom line is getting that W. And is there someone who has been a, a pleasant surprise to this point? I, don't, I guess I don't want to call the the whole JV squad a surprise, but how well they're playing together and how quickly they have gelled. I mean, they're winning games by you know thirty points and than that so you know that that's good but you know as far as varsity uh you know we know what we have with our with our seniors uh, it's happy to we're happy to see javante hill uh being able to contribute he he's proven and shown that he's a varsity player uh ryan montgomery is is getting better uh day by day and uh probably the junior uh jake bishop uh who worked extremely extremely hard in the off season. Uh, that's really paying off for him. He's he's getting to be a dominant force, and uh, yeah, he he's a, a nice player. But you know, we have a good senior uh, base, and uh, yeah, they're they'll they're getting better as time goes on, and we we have some very good skill, and and we're showing that we can compete. And as coaches, we're we're not happy about those results, but I mean. If you're a fan, you want us to win. But, I mean, you saw some good basketball. So uh, we've been in a couple of very good high school basketball games. And this week, the schedule brings Whitmer to Finley on Friday night for a Three Rivers Athletic Conference game. The Panthers have split their first four games and stand at 1-1 one and one in the league. What do you expect from them on Friday? Well, we, uh, we just saw them last night for the only time live. Uh, so so we, we know it's, it's going to be... They're going to play hard like St. John's, and they're going to be as athletic as like a Lima senior. As a matter of fact, they came very close to beating Lima senior. So uh, last year they were probably down a bit. We we uh, we pasted them pretty good. We only played them once because of the COVID season, uh, and they have a completely new lineup. They have probably the best freshmen in uh, this region, and they play very hard. They're extremely athletic, and uh, we, we're going to have to execute on offense and control the ball to beat them then saturday night you have the first quick turnaround Mm -hmm. as you go to springfield township on toledo's west side to meet the devils on their home floor you can't rely on fresh legs in the second game in 24 hours so what's going to be the key to getting the win there well once again playing together and executing you know we've seen them a couple times live they play that they play friday night also so you know they don't have to travel so that's a bit of an advantage for them but uh, you know, I, I think if we keep our heads and just play well and play our game, uh, we should be okay up there. So it'll be the uh, Trojans and the Whitmer Panthers tonight. Findlay at Springfield take on the Blue Devils tomorrow night here on WFIN. Other games on our airwaves, our family of stations here. Liberty Benton is at Arlington in BVC action tonight on 100.5 WKXA. That's always a fun matchup when those two teams get together. And over on 106.3, the Fox, Ottawa Glandorf hosts Elida and then Archbold tonight and tomorrow, respectively. And you can follow all the area games in real time online at the WFIN scoreboard page, powered by ScoreStream and presented by Owens Community College. That 
that's linked up at our webpage, goodmornings.net, or you can log on directly at wfin.com slash scoreboard. And of course, catch the Coach's Corner with John Marshall Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. live from Ralphie's or anytime on demand at wfin.com. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. A Florida man says he was kicked off of a flight on Wednesday, and uh, he was wronged. He said he was just wronged. Uh, he was wearing a face mask, but it was what he was using as his face mask that caused the problem. Uh, Adam Jenny. Uh, says uh, he thinks the mask mandate on planes is silly. So he decided to wear a pair of women's underwear <laughs> as a face mask. He, his argument was that it, it followed all of the TSA guidelines of covering his nose and mouth. But regardless, the airline believed that it was, uh, United Airlines believed Uh, that wearing a woman's thong on his face was inappropriate and he was tossed from the flight. Uh, In addition to that, United says he is now banned from their flights uh, permanently, or at least until his case is reviewed by the Passenger Incident Review Committee. (laughs) So now we know, again, with the holiday travel season coming up, this is good information to know. A woman's thong is not an appropriate face covering. <laughs> At least not on United Airlines. I don't know about the other li- airline stance on, on this, but at United, it's a no-go. <laughs> Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, now, generally we have a rule of thumb that when people die, it's not funny. And therefore... Not usually a part of the broken news, but every rule has an exception. In New York, 29-year-old Jason Jones, back in late October, walked into the Catskill Police Station, doused himself in hand sanitizer, and became belligerent. Uh, He was so out of control that officers warned him that he would be tased if he didn't settle down. Well, he didn't settle down... And so, officers tased him. Here's the thing, though. Because he was completely covered in flammable hand sanitizer, the electric charge from the taser set him on fire. He was was completely engulfed in flames. Can you imagine that sight? Can you imagine the uh, officers, you know, reaction when the you tase the guy and he explodes bursts into flames uh he passed away this happened uh, on october 30th uh they doused the flames took him to the hospital he passed away this uh, past wednesday after suffering severe burn injuries over his entire body again not necessarily funny that someone has died but sometimes it just boggles the mind at the stupid things that people will do, you know? And you can be forgiven if you have a little chuckle uh, at that uh, when you contemplate the stupidity of the whole thing. Prosecutors are reviewing the incident, but no charges are expected. 
crazy. What what would what would motivate somebody to douse themselves in hand sanitizer and then man. Uh, other broken news this morning. Um, a uh, man by the name of Giulio De Virglio uh, was arrested early Wednesday <laughs> for um, using the HOV lane on the highway uh, in uh, New York City uh, without having a second person in the car. You know the, the story of HOV lanes. Uh, high occupancy vehicles, they're uh, carpool lanes designed for people who have more than one person in the car. And there are stories in the news from time to time, people trying to skirt the rules by using all sorts of, uh, trying all sorts of things to uh, to skirt the rules. Uh, well, for uh, Mr. DiVerglio, uh, he apparently had an inflatable dummy riding illegally uh, with him in the uh, HOV lane. <laughs> And he was uh, confronted about this. His claim, and this was, this was unique, he said, I don't use it for the HOV. I use it for the company. <laughs> just wanted to, <laughs> the, the inflatable dummy just, just keeps me company. That's all. It's, here's the crazy thing. Uh, Mr. DeVerglio is an MTA manager for the city of New York. He's a Metropolitan Transit Authority manager. <laughs> you think that somebody uh, <clears throat> would know better than that. The MTA says they are investigating. <laughs> a man from uh, Monrovia, California says a mother bear and her cub have taken up residence in the crawl space underneath his home. Jerry Shutman says he spotted the two bears digging up plants in his yard Monday morning and later found the cover to the crawl space under his home had been dislodged. He said the bears are probably building a nest under his home, although he didn't go to look. He said the bears are still under his home uh, as of Wednesday of this week, and he will ensure the crawl space is secure just as, the, as soon as the bears vacate the area. <laughs> I'm not sure that I want... You know, a bear and mama bear and her cub living under my home. Yee! I'd be afraid to go out into your yard. But uh, maybe they're just looking for porridge. And finally, the uh, broken news this morning. Police in Akron, Ohio, have a very unusual theft on their hands. Somebody, and they're trying to figure out how thieves made off with a 58-foot bridge. It is a pedestrian bridge described as a large Lego or erecto, uh, erector set. They do admit that it would be relatively easy to take apart. Uh, it once spanned the Little Cuyahoga River in Middlebury Run Park, but it moved to another location with the intention of being repurposed. The bridge is almost all polymer and really just connected by a few bolts. So if you have any equipment, sockets or something of that nature, uh, they say it would not have been very difficult to dismantle and disassemble the bridge still they have no idea why someone would want to steal it detectives say the theft of the bridge was done in phases beginning back in early november <laughs> did they not notice that it was slowly disappearing <laughs> authorities say the bridge has very little recycling value 
So their best guess is that the suspects are looking for someone in the market for a complete pedestrian bridge. <laughs> if somebody comes up to you and wants to sell you a bridge, <laughs> somebody has a bridge for sale, quite literally, it may be this one. They are uh, asking you to call the Akron police. <laughs> somebody tries to sell you a bridge. Isn't that a, that's like every old joke Ever. Uh, there you go. That is the broken news this morning. Uh, today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, Play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Your daily download this morning, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. We mentioned earlier college football bowl season kicks off today. The very first bowl up at noon today, Middle Tennessee versus Toledo in the Bahamas Bowl. That is the first one of the bunch. And uh, a new study finds that most American sports fans actually believe that they are, if not the biggest factor, a significant factor in whether their team wins or loses. Two-thirds of sports fans are superstitious when it comes to game day. From wearing a specific jersey every time their team plays, 50% of Americans say they do that. You have that special jersey that you have to wear on game day? Some don't wash it until the end of the season. I can't wash this until the, until the end of the season. 44% of sp- sports fans do that in America. Uh, 42% say sitting in a specific spot while watching the game, influences whether their teams win or lose. I don't know if we actually believe that, but it appears that a significant number of us are not willing to take any chances. So this is our final collection of Kyra's Kitchen Recipes until after the first of the year. Aww. So, <laughs> kind of bittersweet <laughs> wrapping up the year. Because uh, next Friday, um, we will not have a regular show right. uh, on the air. It's our right. special Christmas Eve edition yep. of Good Mornings and no podcast uh, for Christmas okay. Eve. So, yep. we're into the, so, this is like the last regular Friday of the year. And yep. as such... <laughs> We uh, wanted to, or Kyra wanted to share some great recipes, a special collection of breakfast recipes for your Christmas morning breakfast. Yep. What could be more Hallmark movie-ish <laughs> than oh, <stop. laughs> making uh, any or all of these recipes 
uh, for breakfast on uh, Christmas morning for uh, your entire family. <laughs> and uh, my wife, Kyra, has joined us uh, in the uh, studio this morning. You have, uh, these are actually really good. Um, I don't know that we've had, have, we've done some of these. Yeah. I don't know if you've uh, done all of these. No. Uh, but you've done a number of these. Yes. The cheesy tater tot breakfast bake is first. And this yes. is one of our favorites. Yes. So four slices of bacon cooked and crumbled, uh, one pound of ground breakfast sauce, Sausage, uh, two and a half cups of sharp cheddar cheese shredded uh, and divided, two cups of milk, three large eggs, half a teaspoon of freshly ground pepper, half a teaspoon of onion powder, uh, salt to taste, and two pounds of frozen tater tots. So in a large skillet, cook your sausage on medium-high heat, breaking up the meat and browning it. Once it's cooked through, drain and layer onto the bottom of a 9 by 13 inch baking pan. Uh, evenly sprinkle two cups of cheese over the sausage uh, in a large bowl, then hand whisk together the milk, the egg, the pepper, the onion powder, and the salt. Uh, once mixed, pour evenly over the cheese and sauce um, tater tots. Um, if you're not baking it right, um, tater tots. Um, um, if you're not baking it right away, then at this time, uh, cover it with foil and chill in the fridge until the next morning. Uh, when ready to bake, uh, set your oven to 350 degrees uh, with the rack on the lower middle position. Um, once um, oven reaches 350 degrees, place your um, uncovered casserole into your oven for about 35 minutes. Uh, the big thing with this, um, if you're... Casserole is in the fridge. Get that out a little bit beforehand. Okay. Um, Let it get because, to room temperature? Yeah, not or close to it because okay. that can be not good if you just throw it in a in a oven that is already preheated. Okay. The other thing you can do, which is what I do, is I turn on my oven and put it in and let the oven and the dish warm up at the same time. Okay. So, so instead of preheating. Correct. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Now, how does that so, affect the uh, cooking time? About the same. Oh, doesn't, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't. So maybe really... that's the easier thing yeah, to do. Yeah. Okay. So, so top with your di additional half cup cheese, uh, your bacon, and um, and then bake for another five to ten minutes um, until it starts bubbling on the side and gets golden brown, and then let rest at room temperature for about 10 minutes and serve. There you go. All right. So the, uh, cheesy tater tot breakfast bake is really, really good. You have pull apart. It says pull apart crescent Christmas trees. Yes. So <laughs> two cans of your Pillsbury refrigerated original crescent rolls, uh, two seven and a half, seven and a half ounce containers of a honey pecan cream cheese spread, one tablespoon of butter melted cinnamon and sugar and then um and then your crescent rolls um heat over heat your oven to 375 degrees mm -hmm. uh line a large baking uh sheet with uh parchment paper or grease it really well uh separate your dough into the triangles uh, spoon about two teaspoons of your cream cheese on the shortest side of each triangle and roll each of your triangles, um, starting with the short side of the triangle, rolling to the opposite point. Then starting with four crescent rolls, you make the shape of a trunk. 
Okay. Then you, um, above the trunk, right in the middle, you're going to see kind of a line there where the trunk's in the middle. Mm -hmm. You put um, a crescent roll and then put three crescent rolls on each side of that. Then your next one, then you're less and less crescent rolls until you get to the top and you're making a Christmas tree. Okay. Yes. So so then um, uh, bake for 22. 20 to 25 minutes. Uh, then once it comes out, brush it with some melted butter and sprinkle with some cinnamon and sugar. And there you go. Hmm, there you go. That'll be a fun. You could do that with the kids. Yes. That would be yep. fun to do with the kids yeah. in the kitchen uh, on Christmas morning. Yep. And uh, also then a recipe for waffle breakfast parfait. Yes. So but part of this you can make ahead of time. Um, so one teaspoon of sugar, a quarter teaspoon of ground cinnamon, one tablespoon of butter melted, two containers of vanilla blended yogurt, one cup of canned pineapple tidbits drained, and one cup of frozen strawberries chopped. So in a small bowl, stir together your sugar and your cinnamon. Uh, toast your waffles according to your directions. Uh, brush with butter and sprinkle with cinnamon sugar. Cut each of the waffles into eight wedges in uh, in four to 12 into a four or 12 ounce uh, parfait glass or a small bowl. Or if you have like an, uh, an orange juice glass, any type okay. of stuff, yeah. just a small, small glass. glass. Okay. Um, alternate layers of your waffle pieces and your yogurt and your pineapple and your strawberry. And then you can make it really fancy simple. and top it with some cinnamon sugar or another waffle or whatever you want to do so, to make yeah. it look cute. Yeah, so be, just uh, something easy. Something easy, something yep. quick, but uh, kind of special for yep. uh, Christmas morning. So yes. there you go. The uh, Christmas morning breakfast recipes, the cheesy tater tot breakfast bake, the pull apart crescent Christmas tree, and the waffle breakfast parfaits. And those recipes are posted on the WFIN Facebook page. Uh, so you can uh, check that. We also have it linked up at goodmornings.net. As we mentioned, no recipes next week, um, no podcast uh, next Friday, and a special on the air, uh, special uh, Christmas Eve edition of Good Mornings. And then uh, we are off for the week between Christmas and New Year's, so the next uh, installment of Kyra's Kitchen will be in the new year. Happy 2022. Yes, Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, (laughs) If you have a recipe that you want to share, and we uh, did get one uh, just the other day, as a matter of fact. we did. We're going to use that uh, after the first of the year. So uh, I'm going to try it out. i got to try it out first. Got to test it. (laughs) i got to have, I have to give my guinea pigs out there and try it out. (laughs) By guinea pig, she means me. Well, Um, and his family this time, because I'm going to make it for Christmas Day at his his dad's house. All right, excellent. (laughs) Well, we'll look forward to that. It's like a cherry pie recipe, isn't it? Uh, No, it's uh, a cranberry pecan pie recipe. Cranberry pecan pie. Okay, I knew it was a pie of some kind. So uh, thanks for uh, sending that in. And if you have a recipe that you would like to share or you have a request for a recipe you've been looking for and can't find, uh, you can email us goodmornings at WFIN.com and uh, let us know. We put Kyra on the case here. Yes. Uh, Recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. My wife Kyra this morning. Thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will wrap up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday, survey back in August found that half of all nurses had considered leaving the profession 
over burnout and stress, and many have in the months since. We're talking about how to keep those essential frontline workers on the job and recruit a new generation to care for us in the future. So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.